Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin, and my guest today is Steve St. Angelo of the SRS Rocco Report. Today, we're talking about the energy cliff that Steve is predicting is coming in 2025. As always, beneath this piece of content, there's a link where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I publish every Sunday. I love doing it. Love to have you join the team. And also look for the link to our conference coming up January 29th and 30th in Vancouver, British Columbia, the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. It's going to be a banger. Love to see you there. All right. Here is Steve St. Angelo. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Jay Martin Show. And I'm joined right now by Steve St. Angelo of the SRS Rocco Report. Steve, it's about time we had you on the show. I'm looking forward to this. Jay, I'm glad to be here. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting things. We've seen some major problems in Europe with energy. And I think this is just the beginning of the problems we're facing. And so it's, it's great to be here. Well, okay, let's start with that. Let's unpack that a little bit. So uh, what are the major problems that you're focused on? And when you say they're just getting started, talk to me about what you're seeing. Well, the world is driven by energy. That's, that's, what, that's the main driver. Energy drives the economy and finance steers it. So it doesn't matter if you're sitting in the car and you've got no energy, no gasoline in your tank, and you try to steer it, you can steer it maybe, but you're not going to go anywhere. So finance steers our economy, but energy is the main driver. And Jean-Marc Jankovici did a presentation in front of the OECD, and he showed that there's a direct relationship between energy consumption per capita and GDP per capita, a direct relationship. So unless you, if you don't have energy production growth, you can't have economic growth. And I believe we're facing now the apex, the peak of this, I call it the energy cliff. And we're, we're there now. And I believe we start to roll over what I call the energy cliff in about 2025. And you see, this is bad news, Jay, because we have so much debt now in the system. And so due to the problems we're going to have with energy, and we can get into some of the details of why we're going to have problems with energy, especially oil. It's going to drastically change the world as we know it, because it's been 15 years about since the global financial crisis. But what got us out wasn't the Fed, zero interest rates and money printing around the world. It was the increase in oil production from shale and, and oil sands. You need the energy to pull yourself out of a recession depression. You can't do it with just money printing or interest rate um, manipulating interest rates. So I think this is in the next 10, 15 years, we're going to see declines. And we've never really been there before. And that's why it's a different scenario. Declines in energy production, declines in what exactly, Steve? Yeah, well, you see, oil is the number one energy source. Because why? Well, you know, China produces the most coal. But how do you produce coal, Jay? You, you extract coal with mining equipment, and trucks, and you transport it with trains or ships uh, or trucks. And that's all powered by diesel. So when you've got an elevated energy production, which is based upon oil, it, it allows the other elevated energy supply of coal and natural gas. And so the problem is we're running about 100 million barrels a day of, of total liquid production. And we actually peaked about 2018, 2019, even though we've come back up, 
but it's going to be impossible to maintain this. And it's due to what I call the red queen syndrome that the oil industry has now hit and their, their remaining reserves aren't there. And this is the major problem that the market quite hasn't figured out yet. What is the red queen syndrome? Well, if we remember Snow White, the red queen syndrome means you run faster and faster to stay in place. Now, when we first started producing oil and we found all this oil in the United States, and then we found a lot of oil in the Middle East, the decline rate was very small, 4%. Well, as we've been bringing on more production, we went from about 30 million, 35 million barrels a day production in the 60s. We're now at 100. Well, to increase this production, we have been depleting old fields and we have been adding new fields. But these smaller fields decline even faster. And the worst is the shale industry. And that declines 45% a year. Now, so if the rest of the world, the decline rate is between eight to 10%, and then the United States, which has been 80% of the growth in the world since the financial crisis, that's declining 4 million barrels a day, a year. So you've got to replace all that, and then, you, and then you've got to add. And this is becoming impossible because I just put a post out, the U.S. shale boom is now over. And so now when you understand all booms, they end up in a bust Well, we start going down. And when the world has based its growth on 80% coming from shale, we don't, have it, we don't have much else to offset these declines that are coming. And so again, as oil production growth allows economic growth, we're not going to have that economic growth. And this is a big problem because we've doubled the debt burden in the world from 150 to 300 trillion since 2008. So the, this is the problem the world is facing, but it hasn't under it's it hasn't been impacted yet because we really haven't started going down the energy cliff. Now, what is a bigger contributor, if not both, to the shale fields declining by 45%? Is it uh, just depletion of reserves, or is it a lack of investment driving expansion of the fields? Jay, great question, because the article that came out on oil price said the reason the shale boom is over was due to supply strength, uh, constraints, it was due to inflation, and it was okay. due to labor issues. And also, the companies now are focusing more on shareholders. They're going to buy back shares, and they're also going to do more dividends. So this is the reason given, but the real reason that is the two reasons the most important that are overlooked is the rapid decline rate, which is about 45% a year, and the remaining drilling locations. And unfortunately, in the Bakken and in the Eagle Ford and in the DJ Niobrara, we have already passed the halfway mark of drilling locations. We're only waiting in the Permian. Okay. So this is... This is the this is the re, the real reasons the rapid decline rate and also the remaining drilling locations because these are not unlimited, no, and so that's why the the oil companies are taking their time to complete these because they know there's only so many remaining. And well, if you can keep prices inflated of a product that you are producing, it's in your and your shareholders' best interest. Like I get the the mindset there; it makes all the sense in the world from the sure. standpoint. That's what. That's logical. Uh, people may not like it, but that's uh, that's 
the nature of capitalism, which is a system that I support. So what, what do you forecast then in the near term? So I hear two narratives commonly right now, Steve. One is that uh, kind of aligned with what you're saying, where we've moved past peak cheap energy, right? We're getting now into a world where energy is going to be harder to find, more expensive to produce. And we're just getting started in terms of seeing the impact of demand once China opens up from their zero COVID policy. You know, it's going to be a flood of demand, inflating energy prices even higher. The opposite uh, point of view that I hear from some of my guests, including uh, maybe Jeff Snyder or um, uh, Adam Roth. No, not Adam. Anyways, doesn't matter. Is that, you know, we are simultaneously heading towards a global coordinated recession and oil prices are going to collapse as demand for energy collapses, which is what occurs during any kind of global coordinated recession. Do one or the other, like talking about your short-term uh, expectation, Steve, for the oil price. Sure. Now, I, I do think we will see weakness into 2023, maybe into 2024. The hmm. issue is when you go back to the 2008 global financial crisis, demand fell about two and a half million barrels a day. Okay. We lost 10 million barrels a day during the pandemic shutdown. Yeah. So even though we may lose demand due to the recession, the problem, this is the problem. And I've said this, it's going to be a little bit volatile. So we're going to work through the recession. Then as we come back out of the recession, the energy cliff dynamics are going to come back to haunt us. And also because what's going to happen with shale at lower prices, if we think they're, they're being conservative now with their completions of wells, they're going to, it's going to drop even lower. Okay. If we have oil prices get to 60, $70, they're going to, so that's going to hurt production even more. And so in the short term, we could see lower prices next year. We could see a falling demand, falling supply, but it all comes back to haunt us in the next year or so after that. And then it gets much worse due to these problems. And let me just tell you, in the last 10 years, we, we consumed 300 billion barrels of oil and we found about 75. So we're, we're burning about four barrels for every one we find. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. and even if you spend more money, it's, we're just burning way too many of our reserves. And so this is why we hit this energy cliff, especially when you're making it up with production that declines much quicker. Okay. Now, from here, uh, there's a few different directions I'm, I'm curious to go. What's striking you as uh, the most important trigger point that we could watch in the next six to 12 months? Would it be, you know, China opening up demand again, uh, you know, com compressing that a little bit? Would it be Biden emptying the SPR? Maybe that's a pretty short term uh, right. decision on his part. And what's the impact of that? Like, are there any major threads? Is it, you know, maybe Europe gets hit by a super late, super cold winter, right? And this mild climate they've been blessed with thus far doesn't last. And we see that situation get a bit more real than it's been. Do any of these threads strike you as like that? This is the one to pay attention to? Those are all good points. And for the next year, yes, if China opens up considerably because they're a major importer of, of oil and even natural gas, it depends on what happens with, you see, with, with Europe, they're supposed to do another sanction against Russia and have less diesel. And this is the reason why we're having problems in the world, Jay, is we can carpool gasoline. People can carpool, but they can't, we can't carpool 
transportation of goods. Right. Because if you've seen the ships that come into the United States, the containers are loaded to the hilt. So we really can't make the transportation of the goods industry more efficient. And diesel is more important than gasoline. And so I see that even though we can have uh, circumstances that have weakness in the future, in the next six to 12 months, and it really depends upon these different factors. The volatility I'm looking at is the energy inventories in the world, whether it's natural gas, whether it's oil. And what we've seen, we have propped up the price of oil or we have lowered the price of oil due to selling over 200 million barrels from the SPR. We can't continue to do that. We're below 400 million now. And so we're not going to refill that or we're going to really push the price of oil up. And so I guess the issue is what I keep an eye on is looking at the energy inventories around the world, either natural gas or oil. And as we see these trend lower and lower and lower, that's when we're going to see massive volatility like we've never seen before, because these inventories are our buffer. That's that's our buffer. But when you lose that buffer, then we're going to see extreme volatility. And unfortunately, extreme volatility, as you know, is not good for our economy. Our economy is it's it's stable on stable prices, but it's really disruptive when you have massive volatility in prices. So I think that's the nutshell. It's the energy inventories that concerns me the most. Can I ask you a question that is probably going to seem pretty uh, juvenile, but I'm trying to understand it. If the inventories are being depleted and demand maintains, why would you expect uh, price increase and decrease volatility instead of just rocketing price increase? Well, that's a good question. And it's, it's, hard, it's difficult to kind of forecast that. But if you get too high of an energy price, it destroys demand and you go into a recession. And yep. then all of a sudden you start building inventories a little bit. But if inventories built up to here, but next they fell and then they built up to a lower level and then a lower level, as the time goes on, that's where it gets more problematic. And so this is, the volatility comes to, look what happened with the pandemic shutdown, we couldn't put oil anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we had yeah. negative oil prices for a brief period. Yeah. So this is the, you know, who knows what may happen in the future. But when you lose that buffer of the energy inventories, that's when we see huge volatility. And again, that's not good for the global economy. Now, when I, when I, before I hit record here, you said you wanted to talk about how the energy crisis related to gold and silver. And I'm very curious about how you tie those together. Well, Jay, I've been looking at energy. I'm, first of all, I got interested in precious metals like everybody else early on due to you know the debasement of currency, all the debt, the money printing, uh, the loss of faith in the dollar, all these things. And that's, that, those are still valid reasons. But what backstops all that is the energy. And so I understood why gold and silver were trading a certain way and why when it comes back down to a low, why does it come back down to this low? And you know what that is? That's the cost of production. So when you look at silver over a 50 year period, you find or gold when it comes down to a certain level at low, well, that's basically where the cost of production is for the, for the mining industry. Well, what is that based on? It's based on energy, the cost of energy and inflation 
And so when I understood energy is so important, well, what is the basis of our economy is collateral. And collateral, if you want to get a loan for a homeowner, what is it? It's equity in your home, real estate. Or if you're a major company, what is your collateral? It could be your business equity. Also, it's the treasuries, it's the bonds. That is the high quality collateral. Well, unfortunately, as we hit this energy crisis, which is now turning into a chronic energy cliff, see, people need to understand the difference with a crisis, you can solve a crisis. This is going to morph as time goes on into a, an energy cliff problem, energy scarcity. And unfortunately, Jay, the typical the collateral that, that backstops the entire industry, all the debt is real estate equity, and it's bonds, treasuries, and those get into serious trouble as we head over the energy cliff. And so this is the reason why I see the market in time, re-understanding why gold and silver are a higher form of collateral because they store energy value. And, and that's my, my analysis. The reason why they're money, if the economy is burning energy and creating goods and services, whether it's oil, natural gas, coal, or labor, it was the same way 2000 years ago. Instead, they use wood fuel. They use massive amount of wood fuel. So gold and silver have been over the last 2000 plus years, the store of energy value. That is what we trade as goods and services in the market. So we're just getting back to understanding that. But since energy production has been going up, Jay, for hundreds of years, that collateral has moved to real estate and bonds, and they only work as collateral if you continue to increase energy production. When energy production falls, the value of those assets start to lose considerable value. And so this is a generalized fundamental view that's going to change in the next 5, 10, 15 years. So how are you setting up your portfolio then, Steve? What, uh, what are you holding, right? Is your secure, safe haven, stable side of the barbell? And where are you looking for some volatility and upside? Well, I, I do like, I'm mostly in physical metal. Uh, and I, I, do like, I do like the gold and silver miners, even though we're going to have issues with energy. And I think the problem in the future is going to be the supply chain is going to break down even more. And so it's going to be hard to produce metals. But I think the primary gold and silver miners are going to hold up much better due to their store value principles. And it takes 100 times less energy to produce an ounce of silver, primary silver, than an ounce of gold. Yeah. So I look, I look at those and I also look at some of the energy, uh, the energy resource. Uh, I think the majors are going to do well for a while, but I don't think the shale companies are going to do that well. I think they're extremely overvalued because investors don't understand what's going to happen. Because we have to remember, what is the value of a stock worth? It's based on its growth, earnings per share. Well, if your production is declining, you know, and you know, even though you've got a high oil price, you're not growing. So I think investors need to understand that dynamic about the shale, the shale industry. Okay. So physical gold miners so far, that sounds a lot like my portfolio, Steve. Yes. Anything, uh, <laughs> anything you're looking for, like on, do you go into the speculative world at all? Do you look at explorers? Do you like to get down like that? Or is it too risky and too volatile and unpredictable? Talk to me about that. Well, the issue is, if we understand there's going to be energy constraints, 
it's going to be very problematic to bring on a lot of junior miners due to the energy constraints. However, the caveat is if you got silver somewhere in that junior miner name, or you've got gold somewhere in that junior miner name, the market for a while is not, is not going to understand these energy dynamics. So you could see huge moves in the explorers initially due to people We've got to get into the metals. We've got to get into something. If it's hard to get gold and silver, and I believe in the future, it's going to get hard. It's going to be hard to access physical gold and silver, especially by the institutions. So the next place, best place is to go is in the miners because they're going to provide the future metal. And then the juniors will probably see a lot of movement due to just having the name gold and silver in their, in their, in their names. Yeah. Yeah. That speculative rally is, can be fun. <laughs> can be also, dangerous. Yeah. Also, I think lithium producers are going to do well for a brief period. Even okay. though lithium, the price of lithium could come down, we're still, and I, to tell you that we didn't get into this, but um, I, I, green energy is not a solution, even though the world is moving more towards that. And that, that's a conversation for an, another day. Sure. But we're still going to push green energy, a lot of wind, solar. Mm-hmm. and EVs. And with that, you need a lot of lithium. So yeah. I do believe the lithium producers are going to do very well in the, sh- in the next several years. Where can I point people to, Steve, if they want to hear more from you about what you're up to? Well, I've got the srsrockreport.com website. Uh, we've got some free uh, articles, but I have gold and silver members where I detail all this information. I'm also on Twitter at the SRS Rock Report on Twitter, and I have a YouTube channel where I put out some uh, videos. So uh, we put out the details of what's changing because I think a lot of people do not connect these energy dots, Jay. And again, as energy is the main driver of the economy, we need to understand what's happening with energy so we can understand what's going to happen with the economy and asset values in the future. I love it. Steve, thanks so much for making the time to come on today. It's a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, I enjoy it. I'd love to do it again, Jay. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.